Let's do this. Let's roll. <laughs> Episode four of Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Movies only. Sometimes TV. <laughs> Everything film. We're here for you. We're here. Self-proclaimed film geeks. We try to be. Try to be. Yeah. And today's episode is going to be featuring our favorite black filmmakers. I think probably just like the best black filmmakers of all time, probably. Yeah, they, they yeah. pretty much are. Pretty much. Yeah. So, um, want me to name off the list? Let's, let's we'll, name the list off and then go from there. So the list is Spike Lee, obviously, hmm. Steve McQueen, Ryan Coogler, Ava DuVernay, Antoine Fuqua, and Barry Jenkins. Very good list. I think it's a very good list as well. So I figured start with a few of my just favorite filmmakers yeah, as well. Same, same man. Mm-hmm. Like Steve McQueen, I love that guy's films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spike Lee's obviously Spike Lee's obviously not even just the, one of the best film black filmmakers of all time. One of the best filmmakers of all time. Yeah, we should start with him. He's in the last fifty years, forty years, one of the best filmmakers alive. Yeah, he's been. He, I, don't, I don't know how many movies he's made, but it's in, it's it's substantial. It's in the thirties or not 40s. even just movies, just like tons of music videos, video yeah. shorts, all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. But he. No one has given as much voice to um, to the black community and black culture in film as he has. And I don't think anyone ever will give as much as he's given. Probably. Every one of his movies has something. Almost, not everyone, but almost all of them have something to do with uh, injustices done on the African-American community. Just the, the black experience as well. Because, yeah. I mean, there are films like 25th Hour with, uh, with Edward Norton as the lead. And um, Inside Man. Yeah. So um, but, not really anything to do with race. Yeah. But um, the what I think g- comes is expressed most most uh, prevalently in his films is that um, his characters are the leads of the stories. It's their experience, and um, so many black characters in films are always usually the like the second fiddle to the lead. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And even a film. Um, like the help, which was um, loved and praised, um, and it gave a, a voice to uh, certain um, black characters. But essentially, that movie pretty much ended up being a, a white savior type film. Emma Stone, the yeah, movie, yeah. So essentially, like they're bringing that story. That's a film film that got um, widespread recognition, but still missed the point of and missed the mark, and it. it it wasn't quite good enough to. It didn't give the full experience of like a, a black character in that situation. Yeah, you know what I mean. Whereas Spike Lee's films, it's always the black character. It's their life. It's their experience that experience that we're watching and empathizing with. You They're know actually what I mean? the star of the movie. Yeah. not it's just their, like, it's their story. Yeah, rather than being a, a subplot told. or sub character. Yeah, and so many black actors. Um, when they get cast in roles, they're usually cast into a stereotype. Mm-hmm. There's only so many. There for a, for a long time, there are only limited roles a black actor could get. You know what I mean? No, I feel you. Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah. So like, he got game is one of my all time favorite he Spike Lee movies. Great. I mean, Ray Allen's in that. Denzel, Twenty Fifth Hour, like you said. Do the, the right thing. I love the Twenty Fifth Hour. That was such yeah. a fun movie. It's yeah, just because I love. Um, like race movies like you have a, a like a time clock a, 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 yeah, constantly a ticking clock ticking clock yeah. going on in the back of your head i love those mm-hmm. kinds of movies because it's just so suspenseful the whole time mm-hmm. inside man i love inside man yeah i just we just i just watched that the other day it's one of my favorite bank robbery movies it's Best, great such a and good you know, heist what, movie. you know what's uh interesting is how he did it is he the, the the cops are two black guys 
the two lead cops and the bad guys are all white. Yes. You know what I mean? Because throughout history and film, it's, it's generally the cops and the good guys are white guys and the people, the criminals are black guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he, he's fl- he flips it on its head. Then we got, um, like, Do the Right Thing is, like, his first, mm. like, big, major, successful, like, highly she, praised movies. He did um, um, She Gotta Have It before that, but She Gotta Have It wasn't as huge a hit of yeah. do, as Do the Right Thing. I think that was his first feature, maybe. She, she Gotta Have It was his first feature. Old Boy was awesome. The remake was really good. Like, the original is, like, such a masterpiece. I liked his remake a lot, but I also had a lot of issues with it. Um, specifically, it was kind of just, like, Hollywood eyes and I know that iconic hammer scene in the hallway they couldn't yeah. like obviously redo it and he did his own hammer scene mm-hmm. I think it was a really well made movie but my biggest I have like one major gripe with the old boy remake mm-hmm. is that his character Josh Brolin's character the guy who's who's held in captive for like 14 years or whatever he like is supposed to become fa- he, he, when he goes in he's fat and out of shape but in the beginning of the movie you can tell Josh Brolin is shredded <laughs> but he just put on weight like yeah. a, a belly yeah. so cuz he got in shape for the movie then he put on the weight to film the beginning of the movie at the end of the production mm-hmm. and you can see his like 12 pack you can see his arms are absolutely jacked mm-hmm. he just got a gut i don't think it worked for me like that yeah it, I, I you it, you didn't believe it the yeah. character enough that, that, the that that's my only gripe with that movie mm-hmm. um and the Malcolm X Denzel Malcolm mm-hmm. X i and i didn't think i didn't know he his first Oscar win was uh, Black Klansman for screenplay. That was, his first, that was his first win ever. That's kind of like Tarantino. He never really won anything until he Pulp, won. He won for Pulp Fiction. Did he win for Pulp yeah. Fiction? He won Best Director? Screenplay. Okay, for, so Best Screenplay. Mm-hmm. It's ironic. So many great directors never win Best Director for so long into their careers. Like, it, ha- it happens a lot. And it's funny because some directors will win it when they're with their first or second film. Yeah. And then they don't really uh, do much afterwards. But then there are filmmakers like Kubrick. Who never won? I mean, Scorsese didn't win till The Departed. Yeah, I could. That blew my mind when yeah. I found that out when he first won. Mm-hmm. And like Spike Lee, I mean, I don't think he even had a nomination before Black Klansman for Best Director. For director, I'm not sure. He he had a screenplay nomination for Do the Right Thing, I think. Um, but I think he, he got director for Klansman. Yeah, that shows you that Hollywood is all about the storyline that year. He man. Sh- he should have been more recognized. Um, for award awards throughout all of his career, and it didn't. People didn't start really recognizing him until this past decade. I mean, Malcolm X should have been uh, awarded up the ass. If that, that if Malcolm X came out today, it'd win the uh, it would twelve Oscars. It'd sweep. Yeah. yeah, that's why Oscars to me, the Academy Awards. I mean, it's 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 prestigious and obviously the highest honor you can receive as a filmmaker. But still, it's it's so political. It's all about storyline. What's happening that year? What yeah. what sells the TV show? Mm-hmm. And, and that's true, but also awards are important because awards do. I mean, it, it does take. It, it's taken a while for people like Spike to get their voices heard. But when their films like um, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight win the Oscar for Best Picture, it gets a lot of people to watch those kinds of movies. So it's important to win awards. I know the award system is pretty trash and and ridiculous and political, but. Uh, winning awards can help bring a lot of exposure to to um, unknown, unknown voices. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely agree, hundred so, percent. But the the landscape of how awards are given out is changing, but it it's it needs to change for sure. Yeah, I think it really should just focus on just like don't focus on what the story is going to be politically that year, and just focus on straight up the best. What's the be- what are the best? What's the best? What's the best film? Yeah. Well, who are the best actors? Who are the best writers this year? Yeah, and Spike Lee definitely deserves to had to have had more of his movies. In the running, in the running, recognized, 
And I think he's finally getting that recognition later in life, mm. which is unfortunate because he's been making movies since the 80s. Mm. And, but he's there. He's, one of the, he's a top echelon filmmaker today. Absolutely. One yeah. of the best of all time, for sure. Mm. All right, next up, we got Steve McQueen. Oh, man. Who, every time I watch one of his movies, I am blown away. Again, not just one of the best black filmmakers, one of my favorite filmmakers in general. Mm-hmm. Like, he's in my top 15, probably. Yeah. Every single time I've seen one of his movies, I'm just flabbergasted, man. Hair, hair blown back. And he's only made a few films. So he's yeah. made Shame, Hunger, um, 12 Years a Slave, and Widows. Yeah. And the first movie I saw of his was... You showed me Hunger. Yeah. Like years With ago. Bender. I never I barely even knew who Fastbender was. I think I I think he was He in, only had um uh It might have just been 300. Inglourious, yeah, 300 and stuff yeah. like I I I recognized him but then I never really heard of him. Then Hunger was amazing and then Shame mm. was so good. That yeah. is such an underrated Excellent movie. movie. Yeah. And it's because the content sh- itself yeah. is is why people haven't seen it. And why it didn't get like recognition in the awards. He was, he was the best performance that year. But that I was think, probably the best best made film that year and best performance for sure. Absolutely. And that, that's an incredible movie. It can be hard to watch and, but it, it it's so realistic. But it's truthful to that kind of to the kind of person that has to deal with those inner inner demons, you yeah. know what I mean? And I think Steve McQueen did such an amazing job with it and my God, him and him and Fassbender have this amazing like chemistry, and they they seem to understand each other so well. Mm. They know like he, like Fassbender knows exactly what Steve McQueen wants. Steve McQueen knows exactly how to use Fassbender to what, how to tell a story because mm. that's definitely re- prevalent in Twelve Years a Slave. When he, he played a great villain in Twelve Years, Fassbender didn't win Best Actor. He got a nominating actor, but it won Best Picture. Yeah. And so Steve McQueen won because he is a producer on the film. He won an Oscar for Best Picture on that, mm-hmm. and I think he won or was nominated for director. He got nominated. He got nominated win. for director. Yeah, but that movie was that's that's a, a very important movie, and probably one of the best slavery movies ever made. I think it's the best movie about slavery ever made, and. I think it's one of the best movies of the last twenty years. I'd put it up, and there. I think it'll go down as a, a very um, historical film. Yeah, you know what I mean. And the accuracy to it, and because you know, you don't really a lot of movies like you do the slave and owner um, uh, relationship, but he, he does it in such a realistic and way that you've never seen before, mm. and all you can't help but feel sorry for these people who are who are just trapped in their in their situations. Yeah, and. The performances are, are absolutely yeah. Shuatila Jafar is insane in it. A force. Yeah, he's born to play that. He role. He should have won. He should have won best um, actor that year. But I mean, he's great in everything he does, and he finally yeah. got recognition after that because even he's an Inside Man, and yeah. he's kind of you watch Inside Man, you're like, oh, it's Shuatil, and like you're always just like you always that just was thought his he was, big breakout. Yeah. yeah, him with him with Denzel. His first movie was actually um, Amistad with uh, Spielberg's film. Gotcha about um, the slave ship um, Mutiny, and it was, he was he. Plays uh, like a, a translator mm-hmm. for the African tribe, mm-hmm. and he's so young in it. But you can see he's like all—he's incredibly talented, yeah. even from his first. Just role. never got his break until later on. Yeah. Whoa, that actually reminds me of of one more Spike Lee point. My favorite Spike Lee signature is when he does the um, the uh, the the POV shot mm-hmm. of his lead actor going yeah. through some sort of like suspenseful moment, mm-hmm. and it's just. They're being tracked on a dolly, yeah, and so it looks like they're floating towards the with the camera, yeah, and they're being it's like a pull track, mm-hmm. and they don't move any closer to the camera, but they're just being pulled towards you, mm-hmm. and everyone else is walking normally, but they just seem like they're floating like a ghost. He, he invented that. That's his. That's his trademark. I don't know if he does it in every. He movie. does it in every movie. Does he do it in yeah. every movie? Every, every single, single movie. movie. Wow. He yeah, finds, he, does, yeah. he does it once at least. 
And it, it's a, it kind of reminds me of um, the technique Scorsese used in Mean Streets when um, Harvey Keitel is getting drunk and he, he attached a camera to him. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the, I think it was, if it wasn't the first time that was done, it was one of the first times that it was done. And a te- techniques like that and Spike's technique really, it's like this out of body experience um, watching it because it's, it's a, uh, uh, you don't usually see that at all ever technically when you watch a film. So yeah. it, it's like, it, it brings out like certain, you, f- you feel differently about it. You yeah, know but if I mean? you do it wrong, it takes you out of the movie. Yeah. But only highly skilled fi- filmmakers mm-hmm. in, know how to do like their signature thing and you only do it once yeah. in a movie and it's just the perfect timing. He it's does, all he, about that. He does it twice in Inside Man. He, he The movie opens with Clive Owen with the, uh, he breaks the fourth wall and speaks right to the audience and mm-hmm. then the camera rolls him and pushes him back to the into the wall he's sitting near uh-huh. and then it pulls him away from the wall so it moves forward and backward it's maybe, really I'll, cool. maybe I'll watch that tonight I haven't seen it's, it in a couple of years it's fucking fantastic but I, I've seen that movie like maybe five times the first time I saw Inside Man just, the, the twist is just amazing yeah I love it alright uh, but still on Steve McQueen and then after 12 Years a Slave he made Widows which was a very cool movie yeah it was great it was such a cool movie it was a bank robbery movie with with a team of bank robbers, but they're all women. Female, yeah, yeah dude. Female high school. Yeah, so movie. many people it was, saw it. No one, no one. It didn't make a lot of money, but it was so good. And like one of the sh- like Steve does such a good job with realism mm-hmm. and unique shots. Like that shot he has. Um, obviously, the one you told me, you brought up to me when we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago, where um, Colin Farrell. It's mm-hmm. like that single take on the outside of the car, yeah. and they go from opposite side onto the car, yeah. opposite sides of eight mile. Mm-hmm. So he's in the projects, then they show him. They drive all the way. They don't cut. They just hear you. Just hear the dialogue inside of the car, and then mm-hmm. finally the house is turned to to estates and mansions. Yeah. You go from the projects to an unbelievable mansion that he lives in. Such a good shot. in a matter of maybe three minutes, I think. No, it's like maybe it's a couple. It's like a minute, minute yeah. and a half, I'd say. But um, but the thing the thing is, um, Steve McQueen, I think his best quality is he's a patient filmmaker. Yeah. So he'll hold the shot as, as if he's trying to tell you something. He'll hold the shot. So he, he's everything. He, every time he does something like that, it's for a reason. Yeah. And I think one of the coolest like car chase action shots I've ever seen is in Widows, where they're on, where they're they're, they're in the back. It's in the beginning. They have like their their armored truck that they're using to to pull off the robbery. The back of the door falls off, and the camera is just in the place of that door. Point, and you can see the the frame of the door pointing out at the cars chasing them, shooting at them. And it's like one of the mm-hmm. coolest shots I've ever seen. My favorite shot that McQueen's done is in 12 Years, where um, Fastbender wakes um, Shuatel up um, in the middle of the night to question him. I can't remember what exactly he's questioning him about. But um, he pulls him out, and they um, it's a, it's just a two-shot with the camera. It leads them, and... Um, um, Fastbender wraps his arms, his arm around him, and they slowly walk towards camera, and the camera pulls back. And it's a long tracking, sh- a, a long shot. It's probably two minutes, and Fastbender's like kind of questioning him intimidatingly, and um, and it's pretty tight. I'd say it's like chest up, medium, a medium close up of both of them in the frame. And then when the when Fastbender's done questioning him, um, it the the camera pulls back a little bit more. And then we see that uh, Fastbender had been holding a knife to him the entire time. Mm-hmm. And it was hidden for the entire conversation until the, the last few seconds of the frame. Yeah. And it was just like, it brought this, like, you thought it was like, okay, he's just questioning him about this. But then we see, oh, he's threatening his life. And if Ch- she would tell answers anything wrong, he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was such an incredible reveal, yeah. a simple reveal, too. And one of the greatest things about 12 Years a Slave is, is, uh, 
the basically star birth of Lupita Luongo mm-hmm. because she is so fantastic in that movie. Yeah. And she's basically just risen to stardom because of it. Mm-hmm. And she finally got her break and she's so good in that movie. Yeah, she's unbelievable in that. Absolutely she's great fantastic. in everything she yeah, does. She's so good. All right, let's move next to Ava DuVernay, who cool. is director of films like Selma, 13th, the documentary, which in one of my favorite things I've I've learned about Ava is she never picked up a camera till she was 32. Whoa, really? So she's just, I guess. I didn't know that. One of those people who have stories to tell, have things to say, and mm. they maybe never find the medium to do it until they discover what that is, whether it's maybe news or politics or something like that, but hers is clearly film. I Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. The first thing I saw of hers was um, is this film called Middle of Nowhere. And I remember I saw it. Year, it was like I think it was 2012 or 13. It was, it's an old movie, um, and it's about this um, this uh, woman whose um, husband is incarcerated, mm-hmm. and she spends her time working and then visiting him. And then she all, then she starts um, developing a relationship with another man. So her life starts getting complicated by that, and it's a it's a really really um, nice um, drama and um, really great characters and performances. And there's a she's there's like a lot of subtlety to it, and then I remember I saw that movie and um I think that's her first narrative film that yeah. she did, um, because she she was her she originally was the founder of a Duvernay agency which was a marketing agency for black films mm-hmm. so for black Amer- African American films that were maybe okay. not getting seen so mm-hmm. she worked as a marketing agent for those kinds of films mm-hmm. and I think she just maybe decided to want to be able to tell her yeah. own stories. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, and so that's probably what, that's obviously what led her to filmmaking. Mm. And she, I think, she had experience on sets because of that. Mm. Like she was there, she was on movie sets and stuff like that. But then um, Selma obviously is amazing, a really important story to tell. And then Thirteenth, yeah, her documentarian work is really great. And we can obviously expect her. Probably, I'm sure she's gone into development already on the issues at hand today mm-hmm. with the uh, police brutality. I'm sure she's going to. That's probably going to be her next project. Yeah, not going. and not many filmmakers do both narrative and fiction. Scorsese does pretty often. He mm-hmm. does a lot of uh, music documentaries. Yeah. So it's I I really love seeing when filmmakers um, commit to telling a, a story through documentary because it's a, it's it's about a three year process to make a doc. Yeah, especially the ones she makes because it's not. They're, they're miniseries. That's you know? such an important story to tell, too, about the 13th Amendment. Mm-hmm. Because the 13th Amendment, which we all know is the amendment that abolished slavery and indentured servitude, but however, it didn't, except for if you a were punishment of crime. Yeah. So it's kind of a loophole. Yeah. So the, the amendment to the Constitution was kind of a loophole, and no one really knows that. Mm-hmm. And that, that her documentary pretty much reveals about the incarceration rates. You know, in America, we have... Something like four or five percent of the world's population, but we have a quarter of the world's inmates. Yeah, and it's predominantly it's black. Yeah, it's like it's like a a few million inmates in in America. A lot. So it's crazy. The prison population in America is absolutely enormous. It's like cars because we have three percent, five percent of the world's population, but we have a third of the world's cars in mm-hmm. America. It's absurd. It's crazy. So I mean, her stories are obviously incredibly important to tell. She's given voice to a lot of people who have gone through horrible things in their lives and have had trouble getting things accomplished in their lives and have been held back. Mm. And obviously the voice is being heard right now and we can expect more from her, especially yeah, she's, documentary style. She's not going anywhere. So she's a force. All right, next up, one of my, another amazing filmmaker, one of our faves is Antoine Fuqua. Antoine, 
whose best movie obviously has to be Training Day. Yeah, it's, you can't beat Training Day. I love it's that of, movie. It's just one of my favorite movies. How many times have we seen that movie? Like 20 times? At least. It's got to be at least. And Since we were kids. Yeah. That's, we, were, we were watching that when we were young with our brothers. Ethan Hawke's got to be like 30 years old in that yeah. movie. Something like that. Cause, and Denzel's he's, he's still young in, young in that, that yeah. movie too. He's probably like 40 in that movie. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of Denzel's best performances. Mm-hmm. Top, top three of all time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a his, hard list to make. Well, of his performance, yeah, exactly. Everything he's in, he's so good, and um, I I love that movie. I love the story. I love the characters. Ethan mm. Hawke's amazing, and Denzel's amazing. The whole the whole storyline brings you into a world you never heard of or thought of. Mm-hmm. There's just, a lot of authenticity to it. I feel like it's really gripping. There's some crazy twists, and he did such an amazing job with it. Mm. But he's Fakua's. Did I say his name Fakua? Yeah, Fakua. 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 I think it's Antoine Fakua. Yeah, it's I'll double check it later. Yeah, but um, he he uh jumps around genres. He is pretty action action heavy. Um, yeah, he's not afraid to make like a commercial Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah. Like he's done like those Olympus There's, has fallen. Movies. Black filmmakers have to do that shit make, because yeah. if black filmmakers don't, if he doesn't, if he doesn't make Olympus has fallen or King Arthur, like no other black filmmaker is. Like yeah. the, if like he needs to be able to like like he's stepping forward. It's like he's stepping forward and and showing. Studios like you can give black filmmakers giant movies. King Arthur is amazing. Okay. You know what I mean? I love that movie. Yeah, he that did was an great. Amazing job. Yeah. And my like you probably yeah you're probably right that a lot of black filmmakers haven't done those kind of period pieces. He was like the first black cultures. filmmaker to make big budget films. Yeah, he's he's incredible. And that's important. It's very I forgot important. he made King Arthur. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's but so he did uh, Tears of the Sun. Tears of the Sun. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. army movie with Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. But um, and then uh, but I love. I hope they make a third one, honestly, because uh, I love The Equalizer. I haven't seen the they, second one. They're, they're doing such a good job with it. It's Is it so still good. set in Boston? Yeah. The first one, yeah. Yeah. Southpaw was amazing, too. Oh, Southpaw, I yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, it's one of my favorite boxing I was movies. Re- that's one of the best boxing movies, I think, made top, like in the last two decades, three decades. Do you know uh, how he, did you know that he prepped with Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we yeah, talked about this. And he, they're in the workout videos together, and yeah. Antoine's just, like, killing it right next to him. Dude, I'm, insane. I'm sure it made him feel like a boxer so that he could better direct the film. He And he also said that he wouldn't, he didn't want to ask Hall to go through this crazy, insanely difficult training regimen without him doing it, too. You know who like, did I'll, the same never, exact- I'll never ask you to do something I can't do myself. You know who did the same thing is Zack Snyder with 300. Uh-huh. Zack Snyder for 300 oh, went yeah, through yeah. the same workouts as his guys because— those guys, yeah, some like there's some CGI going on, kind of, but those guys got freaking ripped in that movie. Yeah, and they went through like intense, intense mm-hmm. training camps. And mm-hmm. Snyder did it with them, and Snyder lifts with with Henry Cavill and stuff when they're making. He the also directed movies. the movie Shirtless. <laughs> did he really? He no, probably I'm kidding. Did. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised because the guy wears sweatpants on set. <laughs> Zack Snyder's always wearing sweatpants on set. <laughs> but uh, I think Antoine is an incredibly important filmmaker because of the size of films he makes. Yeah, I mean, I keep meaning to watch those Olympus Has Fallen movies, but like, I I'm not a huge fan of those like Hollywood blockbusters. But it's it would it's entices me to watch them because he directed them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, if he has his stamp on it, I'll give it a shot. He's a very smart filmmaker. Because I mean, if if anyone make if the guy who made King Arthur makes an action movie, I'll probably see it. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's one of my favorite ancient culture movies in general. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic movie, and. Antoine, you're right. He he does. He's not afraid to dabble in different categories, different genres, and I'm sure it helps him get things he wants to get made made. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure Olympus was Fallen isn't his first choice, but he's, you know what? I'll bang these out. I'll make the studio 500 million dollars, and I can do whatever the hell I want after that. Yeah, man, what a great guy. All right, 
Next up, we got Ryan Coogler. Ooh, my favorite Ryan Coogler story is well, is Fruitvale Station. What was it? I think it was his first movie. Mm-hmm. It was the first movie I've seen of his. We went and saw it in theaters. It was such an emotionally moving movie <laughs> that when we left the theater, I cried like a baby during that movie. I, I don't think I've cried that hard during a movie before in my life. Maybe Million Dollar Baby. But you were weeping <laughs> for, what, a half hour? At least. We were driving home, and you were still crying. It was in, I've never seen him move so much. I or, felt like someone I loved died. It was, in, it was insane to see... Someone strikes such a chord emotionally with everybody. doesn't matter what race you are, what sex you are, your gender, everything. Hmm. If you saw that movie, Ryan Coogler made you feel emotions that you probably hadn't felt since you were a child. Yeah. Which is so hard to do as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And he shot that film on 16 mil. So it looks grainy. And it, it, it like that graininess, it, it kind of gives like a, like a homemade like quality to it. You like know authenticity. What I mean? Yeah, and it brings you in more, I think. Yeah. 16 millimeter can only work in certain situations. In that movie, um, I think if he shot in 35, it wouldn't have felt the same way. No, I get, I get you that. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's that, that, that graininess that like, kind of feels like a home movie a little yeah. bit. You know what I mean? You feel, you feel more in it. Mm. But, man, what a movie. And then, obviously, he created the legend of Michael B. Jordan because <laughs> now that guy is a superstar. <laughs> Superstar man, yeah, he, and um, and then he, he yeah he followed it up with Creed, which is one of the best boxing movies. It has I to be. I loved it because I and, love Rocky. Well, we both love Rocky. Yeah, we've it, seen those movies so many times. But when they announced the sequel and it was going to be Creed, I was like, "What? That sounds kind of dumb." I like, was excited about Apollo it. Follow Creed's son, like I, I don't thought, know. I was excited, and then and then I watched it and I was like, "This is inc- it was incredible." But, but then the, and then Black Panther, yeah. So Black Panther. Took over the world. Yeah, one of the most top three successful movies of all time. Yeah, in terms of box office, mm-hmm. absolutely destroyed everything. Destroyed mm-hmm. records. So such a cool movie. Yeah, and like, what is it? The first comic book movie to be nominated for best picture. Yeah, it was because Dark Knight should have been nominated. Dark Knight should have. Well, won. The, the landscape of voting changed because of Dark Knight. Yeah, that's what allowed the category to be up to five, up to ten nominations. Yeah, so, so nominations used to be five, and mm. everyone was so upset about Dark Knight making the list in two thousand eight that they had a, up to ten, <laughs> which was, dude, I couldn't believe Dark Knight didn't get any respect that it should have. I mean, it won things like Slumdog uh, Millionaire won that year. I've never even seen Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> I like Danny Boyle a lot, <laughs> but I'm not going to... I've watched Dark Knight 40 times. I've seen Slumdog Millionaire negative two times. I've seen it twice, and I was both times I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. Again, it's about storyline. What's going on that year in the, in the politics? Mm. Oh, but, my uh, God. But no, uh, Black Panther is w- one of the best Marvel movies. And, I mean, it took them, what, 16 movies to have a black comic book it's character? It's insane, because they've been, they've been pulling, pushing them out since 2008 with yeah. Iron Man. And they had everyone. They had they had Iron Man had three movies. Captain America had three movies. Thor had the white guys had all the movies. Thor had three movies. <laughs> Thor had three movies before uh, Black Panther. Black had Panther one. had a movie. <laughs> Freaking who else had movies in in the Marvel universe? Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. Galaxy. They went to aliens before they went to black. They, yeah, they went to creepy, weird-looking aliens in a talking raccoon before they gave Black Panther a chance. How fucked up is that? <laughs> I don't get how people think Marvel. Like it's, just, it's still. I mean, it just makes no sense to me. Well, it, it's 
Yeah, it's just like the industry. It's just it's it it's changing, but it, it took a long time for things to start to start changing. Yeah, you know what I, mean? I, d- I haven't even thought about that. That just yeah. blows Isn't my that mind. Isn't that funny? And now, and we don't recognize it because we're white. But then when you step back and you look at it and you count out the movies that Marvel made before they hit up Black Panther, it's like, oh my god. Yeah, and then also just the representation of uh of uh black characters in comic books is so small. Like, it's never we've ne- I it, ne- it was never like anything that was brought to light for us because. Every superhero was white that yeah. we saw, yeah. pretty much. And then now the African-American community has had their Superman now. You know what I mean? Like a, a black kid looking at Superman for the last hundred years is like, it, it's Superman, but he's he doesn't look like me. But Black Panther looks like me. You and know ironically, I mean? now all kinds of kids love Black Panther. Yeah, you'll see little white kids as Black Panther yeah, for Halloween. Been, yeah, any any kind of race or culture would have loved it. No yeah, matter what. I think Black Panther should have been made sooner. They chose the right director. I know. I I know they offered to Ava to direct. I'm pretty sure. Oh, do they? I, I'm pretty sure they did. But she oh, had, I think I, I think I did read that. But she had to turn down for other obligations. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she was offered to direct Black Panther. Turn it down. Coogler did an amazing job with it. And it's a it's a great movie. It really yeah. is one of it's probably top three Marvel movies ever yeah. made. It's actually got a good villain. It's actually got a good story too. <laughs> and, and ev- besides Iron Man, everyone's first movie is garbage. Yeah, like Thor's first movie is stupid. <laughs> Captain America's first movie is stupid. <laughs> They're all terrible. Guardians is all right, but that's with five characters. Yeah, this doesn't count. You know, Iron Man's the like the one. Iron Man and Black Panther are the only like s- solo superheroes who have good first movies. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is like, oh well, it's just Thor. He's just like jacked and beating people up. Anyways, Ryan Coogler, absolute force to be reckoned with. Fantastic, one of the best young directors working today. Mm. Can't wait to see where his career goes. All right, and then final on our list is Barry Jenkins, who made a masterpiece with Moonlight. Mm-hmm. And the pro the sh- the terrible thing with Moonlight is it was it's plagued by that Oscars hiccup. Yeah, because for a movie. Like finally, like the black community makes an amazing movie that deserves recognition. If they finally are getting the recognition they deserve, these black filmmakers, because they've been making great movies and great films for years and years and years, and they're finally gonna win Best Picture, and it gets hiccuped, and there's a whole controversy over it. Mm-hmm. Over it, they read the wrong name, and, and that's just, never happened before ever at the Oscars. It's kind of like, was this planned? Like, what happened? Like, how mm-hmm. does that happen? How does the guy read the wrong card? <laughs> I don't know how that Maybe happens. Maybe it's because they had a 90-year-old do it. And I can only imagine what, what Barry Jenkins and all these black filmmakers and black screenwriters and black actors are like, what, what they thought when, they, when Moonlight was finally called and everyone had already used their large applause on, what was it? What was it? That one? La La Land. La La Land. Yeah. Like everyone screamed and applauded for La La Land. Mm. It was raucous. And then everyone had, then the, the, the maker of La La Land. The like, producers oh. got up. Yeah. They're like, oh no, it's Moonlight. Moonlight won. Everyone's yeah. like, oh great, Moonlight. Yay. <laughs> and it's like they saved, it's like a surprise. Yeah. It's like, it's like Big Daddy. Mm-hmm. Like they wasted the good surprise on, <laughs> on Adam Sandler. It's just exactly what I felt. And I felt like, oh my, devastated mm. because it's such a good movie. No one, like, and I mean, La La Land was great too, but. La La Land's nothing compared to Moonlight. That's Moonlight really is one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen. And I saw it alone in a theater at the Los Feliz Theater. And I was just like awestruck the entire time. The, the way he shot it, the style, the long takes, um, the minimalist production, um, handheld. And then the, the, the structure of having three acts and they're not flashing amongst each other. It's just act one. 
he's this age. Act two, he's that age. Act three, he's this age. Yeah. And they're all separate chunks. They're all it's three different chapters of this person's life, and you can really see how this person grows and how the choices in and he's made in the environment he came from has shaped him into the person he is. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of directors do epics very well mm. in terms of having a character where a long period of time has passed and he just knocked it out of the park. A yeah. lot of people don't do a very good job of that and mm. they just kind of fall into cliches. Yeah. But each version of the character is so unique and different. Mm. And you can see the things that happened to him in the first version of the character, how it's affecting him now. Mm. And then in the third act, you see how he's overcome maybe some of his flaws or insecurities in the second act. And it's created him into be this ends up being this drug dealer, tough guy, kind of big muscled out guy. He turns he turned into the person who was his only father figure. Yeah, that's why he became like that. Yeah. Mahershala Ali. Um, he was so influenced by him because he was Mahershala Ali was the only person to show him love in his in his entire life. Basically, yeah. you know what I mean. Even his mother didn't love him. Really. Yeah, not really. I mean, they t- they have that powerful scene at the end, but. She was. That was more she, of a catharsis. I yeah, think. she was not really. She was not there for him as a kid. You know, she 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 performed that crying scene, um, within like thirty minutes of of like getting on set. Yeah, didn't she have a whole like a weekend to shoot? She had a weekend to shoot because she was uh, shooting. Um, I think uh, one of the Bond films, so she could only get away for like a weekend, and she literally was late to set because she had like the plane was late, and she had apparently she had a rush to set, and then like. She showed up on set, got hair and makeup done, and then sat at the table, and they were like, okay, we got to shoot. We only have a couple hours, and then she just went right into it. Best it's, actor. It's insane. One best supporting actor, right? Actress. No. I thought she won best actress. No. Huh. She won. I think she won Golden Globe. Maybe. I know she won an award for that role, and it blew her. I think she was just blown away because she probably, you know, she only worked on it for a weekend, but it, maybe for her, she's never, maybe never had to put that much of herself on the line in such mm-hmm. a short amount of time. Well, that whole film was filmed in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. They were filming stuff like several scenes a day. Like, Where's the shot in Florida? Is that where it yeah. takes place? Yeah, Florida. Yeah. yeah. It's an incredible movie. Because I remember I seen, I've seen it like three or four times because I saw it in theaters, but then my old roommate, he was in SAG, so I, he got the screener. So mm-hmm. I saw that movie three times on, with the screener for free. Yeah. And just blew my mind every time. I have I have this kind of like idea that um, the mix-up with La La Land um, led to Green Book winning the Oscar last year. But why it, why Green Book over Black Klansman? So for the exact reason you were just complaining about the Oscars is because it's political. And so the Oscar community, the Oscar voter community, obviously wanted to... Uh, I think they had good intentions and they wanted to vote for a movie that represented a, like black community or black characters. But the thing is, they they didn't understand the difference between Black Klansman and Green Book. Mm-hmm. Whereas Green Book is told from the perspective of the white male lead. Yeah. And he ultimately pretty much, like, saves the day in a certain, in a way. And also, like, the, the ultimate ending of the movie is that Vigo goes, pretty much essentially goes, hey, you're not that bad. Let's be friends. That's why I've never seen that movie, and I probably never will. Because it's, I think it'll just make me upset. It's a good movie, but, like, the... I think that voters, they had the right intentions, but they still are not educated enough or in their, 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 their head isn't completely in the right place for like what needs to be changed. Because my, I would define Green Book as a white movie with a black lead character. 
whereas Black Klansman is a black movie. That's that's it because Green Book, yeah, it has the thing is like Green Book has a black lead character in it, but Black Klansman is about the black experience, the black community, the black yeah. culture. You don't get that like every, like just the shot of John David Washington just like playing with like feeling his fro out and just the mm. the wardrobe and yeah. the, the whole air and the charisma he exudes just it's the his black his story community. but in green book it's Viggo Mortensen's story and it just it's just kind of pissing me off that black clansman didn't win but it, it was that was the best movie and the fact that green book won over i was so surprised i expected black clansman to win and when green book got red i was like what can you imagine being spike lee i know he was pissed but like oh my god holy shit yeah like a black a movie a black movie made by white people won instead of his movie. Yeah. So it's an example of in Green Book is a is a very nice movie and it's a good movie and does have good messages, but it's like that's the it's a perfect example of so many people don't understand what the problem is. Yeah. And they don't understand that just because there are black characters in a movie doesn't mean it's a, a a movie that properly portrays the truth of what it's like to be a black person. It's not in a black America. movie. Yeah. Black Klansman is a black movie. Yeah. So I mean. Maybe after all the stuff that's going on this year, that will help change. But also, it's like we have to understand that, like, it the the films themselves need to portray and show the truths of the experiences of every like any film should show a truthful experience of a certain kind of person, and in that so, culture, in that culture, and so few black black films have been made that we we haven't seen enough experiences in film. So it's important to. The movies that get recognized and that get awarded are movies that properly portray black characters and their stories. That's I think Spike Lee is probably the best at that because every time I watch a Spike Lee movie, even when I watch Inside Man, which is black and white characters, I still get something new he, f- that I learn about the black community yeah. from his characters and from the way he makes he's, the movie. He's an educator as much as he is a filmmaker. Think and about that. I think that. in almost every one of his movies, he has a black character scream, wake up. Oh really? I think it's another signature of his. He, he has a black character scream, "Wake up!" Mm-hmm. which is basically a symbol that he puts in his movies to show the world to wake up to what's going on mm-hmm. in terms of the treatment of the African American community over the last not just hundred years, but four hundred years. Mm-hmm. Specifically, now that we're in the modern world, even post civil rights. Mm-hmm. See, it's still because it's still going on. Yeah, and so that's something he puts. I'm not sure if it's in every movie, but I'm, I think it's in most of his movies. He yeah. has someone scream, "Wake up!" Mm-hmm. Which I think is a very important message because, like you said, Green Book, like we were saying, it's not a black movie. It's a white movie about a black character. It's, I, the, it, what's scary is that like the, the themes of Green Book are, it's almost as if, and I'm sure that they don't intend this, but it's almost as if it's white acceptance of black people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a scary, like, you know, that shouldn't be the theme of the film. You know what I mean? It should, and especially the whole movie is... It's like the white it's, characters it's, driving the black character around. Yeah, it's just like, it's just like, uh, oh, yeah, I accept you. Like, is, is the white character driving around, pulling along the black character with him? Like, he's pl- pulling the black community with them around. He literally gets the gets Mahershala Ali out of a couple of binds. Yeah. So he's like, just rescuing him. Yeah. yeah. The white savior. So it's not a black movie. Yeah. That's why I don't think I'll ever see it. You should you should watch it. I mean, I, I, sh- I think it's important to watch as many films as you can. Yeah, but I mean, some movies I I know I'll go into it and and not be happy with it because of the message it's sending. Yeah, and the the reasons why. Like like I was, we were talking about in the last podcast, like how up in the air won best screenplay. I'll never watch that movie again because 
Not because it's not a good movie, which it obviously is, but because it won Best Screenplay over in Glorious Bastards, I will never watch that movie again. <laughs> I swear to God. I, I've only seen it once. You can put me on a desert island <laughs> with a DVD player, a TV, and a DVD of Up in the Air. I will fling that DVD of Up in the Air into the ocean so fast you have no idea. I swear to God. I'd break it and use it as a tool. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, I'd do that in spite. <laughs> Let's say I, let's say I have an outlet on this island. Okay, I have electricity. <laughs> Someone's gonna be like, "Well, you're, how are you gonna turn the DVD player on the TV on if you don't have electricity on this island?" It's a it's a good movie. I liked it, but then when it won best picture, best screenplay, I was just like, "What's going on? Did they, did they like blow somebody? Like, what? How how does this work? How do they get like Tarantino sitting over there like?" All right, it's another year. It's like Spike Lee never getting recognition. Quentin's just like, oh, my amazing screenplays. No one ever gives me an award for it. I'll get at the Golden Globes, but that's about it. Mm. And no one cares about the Golden Globes. But I mean, it's that's why Green Book won because uh, Black Klansman was too black for the voters. It could be maybe because the the uh, Hollywood was too afraid to make a movie win that has something to do with the KKK. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. But I think that's the. That's I the think real it was reason. too black for a lot of the voters. I think. I think it, it was too truthful. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think maybe they probably couldn't relate to it. When, when all you gotta do is listen. It's okay that there's another movie with a different kind of culture, with a different kind of production than you. Because mm-hmm. Black Klansman's freaking awesome. That's it's it's it might be my favorite Spike Lee movie. And we birthed, I love it. We birthed John David Washington from it. <laughs> He's awesome. He's so cool. His white guy voice in that movie. It's, it's great. So funny. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> And oh, I gotta show you later because he was on. He's a, he's so John David Washington's a former NFL player. Mm-hmm. He's a running. He was a yeah. Running I looked back. into it. Yeah, he was on the Rams. He, he was, was on, the, on the Lions or no, not the Lions. He was definitely on the Rams for a few years, mm-hmm. which is so cool. Which can show you like he's not just a rich, famous guy's son. He's mm-hmm. a hard worker. You have to be a hard worker to and be you able have to, to be make talented. a team. So he's obviously made for action movies, which we'll see in Tenant. And he's, you got to have a grind to you. To mm-hmm. be to make the NFL, you can't just make it on a pure talent. You have to make it on hard work. Yeah. And a lot of, I'm sure the majority, 99% of actors and famous people's kids don't do shit with their lives. Yeah. Except Especially maybe in the age of social name. media where they can just get a million followers from taking selfies. Is the way it is, but John David Washington looks like the man. And kudos to Nolan for uh, casting him. Yeah, I think Nolan knows what's going on in the world, and he saw him. He saw Black Klansman. He's like, I need that guy in my next movie. He's mm-hmm. a fantastic guy, mm-hmm. and I think he's a good choice to hang out with a bunch of <laughs> British white people in a movie. <laughs> Perfectly dressed British white people. <laughs> amazing suits. Want to hang out with Michael Caine? <laughs> Every Chris Nolan movie, amazing suits. Well, ever since, like, <laughs> since, like, uh, Prestige. Even, no, even in Memento, he wears a suit the whole time. Yeah, but it's not like a really nice suit. <laughs> it's a nice suit. It's not a nice suit. He doesn't have a tie. He's been wearing it for like a month. He looks like it's clean, though. <laughs> it's not wrinkly, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. You got anything else to add? No, I think that was a good episode. Yeah, I think it's a great list. Um, if you haven't heard of these filmmakers or you haven't heard of all of them, I highly suggest... You start watching their movies, get into them, have some movie nights. Really great. This is amazing talent. Um, Steve McQueen is is probably my favorite. If I had to pick like a favorite black director, it's probably Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. I think his movies just like resonate with me in such an amazing way. But Spike Lee is a, is a legend for sure. But yeah, they're, they're all amazing. And they all have a lot more work to do. Mm-hmm. And we'll be here to watch. Yes, sir. All right, we're calling wraps on this. That's a cut.
that's a cut on episode four of Raiders of the Lost podcast. Hey, we're cruising through these. All right. And we're making an Instagram TikTok, which should be up by the time this posts. It better be. So follow. He's in charge of that. Follow. It's the same name, Raiders of the Lost podcast. I'm the social guy. (laughs) More reasons for me to be on my phone all day. (laughs) All right. Later. Later.